0: This is a CBC podcast.
2: People are curious, and that's great.
3: But there are some questions you just shouldn't ask, or at least not like that.
2: I'm Harvinder Radva.
3: I'm Elena Hudgens Lyle.
2: And this is Inappropriate Questions.
3: Let's get inappropriate. of when you meet someone new, what's the first question that you ask to get to know them?
2: I just try to make some small talk. Weather? Oh, Weather, yes. Weather is one. Yes.
3: <laughs> what I'm getting at is that I think oftentimes the first thing people ask is, what do you do about job and stuff? I'm sure you've seen that.
2: Uh, actually, most Indians, that's the first question, but that's the reason why I don't ask that question.
3: <laughs> yes, you march to the beat of your own drum. <laughs> uh, we do ask people about careers a lot, especially when someone's on the edge of a change. We'll ask things like, What are you going to do now? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe to people who are about to graduate from school, that kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I think uh, you actually might know some people who fit into that category.
2: I know, Elena, exactly where you're going. You're talking about our two guests. Yes. I somehow know both of them. <laughs> Their names are Harbani Vadva and Rim Vadva, And I guess you would have understood they are my daughters.
4: Hi. <laughs> Hi. <Hey.
2: laughs>
3: Can you each introduce yourselves and just briefly talk about where you're at in your school life slash career life right now? I'm Harvani. I'm in grade
5: 11 and I'm graduating high school next year. My name's Rim. I'm in my final year of my undergrad in industrial engineering, so I'll be graduating this April.
3: So given that you're both at this place of being close to graduating, uh, Rim, did people ask you this question? What are you going to do now?
5: Oh, all the time. And I kind of do the same thing as my dad. I don't like to ask other people because who wants to answer that question? (laughs) But of course I want to know the answer. (laughs) Um, I always say... Like, I don't know, like things will just come to me, you know, things like that. And I feel like I'm just trying to be funny and like not answer it. But people always read that as I have no idea what I'm doing with my life, which is like also true, but not the vibe I'm trying to put out.
2: (laughs) So are people unsatisfied with that answer?
5: I think so, because I'll, they'll be like, what do you want to do? And I'll be like, oh, I kind of just want to move to Italy and own a fruit cart, which honestly is only a partial lie. But I feel like it's an obvious deflection, but they got to know more, you know? <laughs> How do you feel about this this life plan?
2: <laughs> as long as I get free fruit, I'm OK. <laughs> uh, what about you, buddy?
5: I think
6: not having an answer is a little more appropriate. Like, it's not that big a deal because most people around my age don't know what they're doing. Mm. Um. I think it's just the the whole idea, and I think the uh, b- big reason that I hate this question is because it's very anxiety inducing. It's kind of something that I I like to suppress, <laughs> and then someone decides mm-hmm. to just kind of bring it up, and then I have to confront it, and it's just not fun. Mm-hmm. But it it just it's still overwhelming, even if it's coming from like the right place, and I do need to know this information. It's just not, it's just very scary.
3: It's like I need this, but also screw off, like exactly <laughs> <I> exactly. <guess. laughs> Rim, do you feel any pressure to know what you're going to do next?
5: I'm kind of chilling, to be real with you. Nice. That's I, good. I know that sounds very privileged. But maybe I should be a little bit more stressed. But I'm, I'm lucky enough where I really feel confident that something will come along. And I'm not super concerned about hitting my, like, just hitting the nail on the head with finding my dream career, like, the second I graduate. I'm sure mm-hmm. it'll happen. Mm-hmm. I think there was a thousand times more pressure when I was in Bonnie stage, to be honest. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not in
6: university, so I, I couldn't speak to it. But it sounds like at least you have a career. At least you have like a vague idea of where your life is going. For me, I have like a million different programs, a million different universities I get to look at. And so it's, it's almost more of a w- overwhelming to see like mm-hmm. how many options I have. My sister hasn't narrowed it down to like, this is what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. I, I
5: think the pressure is very internal. Mm.
2: So does it matter who asked this question?
5: Yeah, I think it matters. I think there's a big difference between like a homie asking versus a family friend who's like, for some reason, very invested in your career and feels the need to give you advice. It's because the advice is always from someone who doesn't know anything about you. They just have to have an opinion. They're not in your field. Like if you want advice about your career, you go to them. You go to a mentor, you go to someone, a colleague or something. You know what I mean? Right. I feel like nine times out of 10, your family friend doesn't have anything to offer you.
3: (laughs) Uh Have you guys ever, not to put Harv on blast, but has your dad asked you this? It's not really an ask. He's told us, you know, he's told us what we're going to do.
2: Yeah. So that was not inappropriate at all.
3: (laughs) Yeah. How do you, how do you feel about it, Harv? Like, what's it like seeing your daughters at these kind of transitional phases of life?
2: It is challenging for me as well. Uh, I want them to do well. And when I'm using the word well, I'm using it in a very broad sense. Right, that yeah. They should choose the career that they f- enjoy because they're going to work probably in that field, in related field for the rest of their lives. So they have to enjoy it. And also, financially, it's decently rewarding. I, I'm not looking for them to become multimillionaires, but at least <laughs> they should have enough... Uh, fiscal means to uh, to be comfortable mm. it is uh, then quite up to them uh, fortunately bani is uh, not at that stage yet uh, but rim uh, chose a field which is uh, not too bad so <laughs> so, so I'm okay it
3: gets, gets a pass from that
2: <laughs> so rim and herbani what do you hope to learn from this episode
5: uh, I guess I want to hear a little bit more about the anxiety of hearing this question. Because mm. I, I feel really lucky. I don't feel anxious about it. I just don't like the conversation. I don't want advice. But I think a lot of people have genuine anxiety when it comes to
3: this and, and actual like fears. And it's very stressful.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, thank you both for your thoughts. And I'm interested in looking into that anxiety too. And uh, with that, we conclude Take Your Kids to Work Day.
2: <laughs> okay. I thought... <laughs> That was a one-time thing when you take your kids to work when they're in grade nine. I did not know it had to happen again.
3: Uh, When you have a podcast, man, the possibilities are endless. Endless. So I'm to understand they're not getting a a column on our show anytime soon? No, we are done. done.
7: What do you do is really almost synonymous
4: with who are you. We've watched you for eight plus years doing this. This was so fun. What you got next?
1: Asking them, when are you going back to work? like, there's an assumption. I'm a big
4: sports
3: fan. Well, like one sport. I watch hockey.
2: Okay. And I watch cricket. That's it.
3: (laughs) And together, we like one sport each. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) A big place I hear about this question is from athletes who are retiring. They tend to retire quite early compared to, I guess, most people.
2: Yes. I wish I was a professional athlete. I could have retired by now, like... Decades ago.
3: (laughs) Well, I think we're about to hear that retiring in your 30s from sports is maybe not all glam. Mm -hmm. We're speaking to Krista Galoin. She's a retired rower who won a silver medal at the 2012 Olympics as part of Canada's women's eight team. She also wrote a book about the transition out of life as an athlete called Beyond the Finish Line, What Happens When the Endorphins Fade.
4: i think we were asked what are you gonna do now like on the podium it was it was quick it was like hey now that you're done you're like ah um, so That's <laughs> that abrupt. that was probably the the most abrupt and shocking timing um of that question
2: people don't waste time
4: no they don't <laughs> humans know like they can come in feel a situation find the most awkward question, and then give her. They just go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. I don't know what it is about us, man.
3: (laughs) What did it feel like to get asked this question initially, like so quickly after winning a medal?
4: I think it's different for everyone. And for me, it felt like a huge weight of pressure. It felt really uncomfortable. I think for some of my teammates who – had a set kind of plan in the background, it could have been easier for them to answer the question and say like, oh, I'm going back and finishing my law degree, or I'm doing this, I plan to do that. I didn't really have a plan. Mm -hmm. And then second to that was this pressure I chose to put on myself of, oh God, how am I going to impress everyone again? Like this feeling of being on top of the world right now, how am I going to keep this? What the heck am I going to do? It's going to be good enough. Mm. And so I started to like, really struggle with that. I think I still struggle with that a little bit today, like 10 years. um, We're almost at our 10 year anniversary from 2012. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh, You are not thinking of uh, again competing in four years or because there are a lot of tournaments. Uh, It's not just Olympics, right?
4: Right. I I retired cold turkey in 2013. Uh, So I was 33 in 2013. As I was getting older I was wanting to do other things too and I mm-hmm. focused on that it's so intense the focus you have to have and you're in such a bubble when you're doing it you know it seems like it looks so fun and you know the athletes are so vibrant and just in the dream for you know nine minutes on one day that you know our race was six minutes it Damn. those are the glory moments but the day in day out training it's very isolated and I had only took phone calls at certain times because I was resting and then I was practicing and then I was, (laughs) you know, just mentally drained. It, It felt like time for me. I think hanging on and trying to continue, that would have just been messy. Right, right. And that's what's so
3: interesting about athletic careers versus other careers is that, like you said, you have to have that focus. And then often you do end earlier than, you know an office job would, you know, or Mm -hmm. another kind of job would. Yeah.
4: It's an unorthodox choice Mm -hmm. uh, to direct all your time and energy and attention into something like your sport. And I think that when you are doing something unorthodox and finally there's an opportunity for you to join everybody else, they're like that was probably part of the reason why they were asking, what are you going to do now to be like us? Like you're, you're finally on our side. You're no longer the outlier now. What are you going to do? And and then the other part of it is people I think were just genuinely excited to know what are you going to do? Like this right, could be cool. Yeah. We've watched you for eight plus years doing this. This was so fun. What you got next? And that's where I think that vibe and that pressure was I came back and I took it on as pressure like oh no I don't know if I can impress you anymore like Mm -hmm. ah
2: so Krista I am uh, making one assumption here that you must have been very passionate about rowing and that's why you chose to be a rower
4: I think I am a passionate person I think once when you're doing something that so plays to who you are I was able to be like a nutty passionate crazy athlete and then Mm -hmm. after I, I talk about this in my book too how I would like when I was done rowing I was still on that in that zone of like constantly moving and trying to be at first or you know I would be in the Starbucks lineup and like sh- the person making my Starbucks is doing it fast enough and I'm like, ah! like all, all of my energy is going into the wrong places and I was like running in a really charged state right. and then when I shifted out I didn't have the rowing outlet anymore and now I'm living in that fight or flight state hmm
3: and so, when you retired, were you chasing that same kind of passion? And yeah, how did that go? What was it like looking for for
4: something new to do? It was interesting. I I think initially I tried to detach from the world of sport. I thought I'm going to branch out. I, I did a fashion merchandising program at Blanche McDonald. Mm-hmm. You know, the response to me in the world was weird too because I was coming. At an entry level, and I would try to get a job in like retail, for example, and they want to know if I had retail experience. And to me, that was such a like, oh my God, that was such a slap in the entry <laughs> oh door <my> face <laughs> because I was like, I don't understand why I'm not qualified to fold shirts and clothes if like I was literally trying to build from nothing. Oh my God. So that was a little bit discouraging. Mm-hmm. I pushed on and I, I found a comfortable place at Lululemon. Eventually, I just kind of felt like that wasn't where I needed to be either, though, for the long term. Uh I was really uh, uh, wiggly; like I, I wasn't settled. Mm. Why I wasn't settled? Because I didn't maybe I didn't find my new place, or maybe my expectations were just way too freaking high, mm-hmm. right? Uh,
2: so, did you? Be, because you came from a very, very high point. I mean, silver medal in Olympics is not a joke by any stretch of imagination. <laughs> yeah. And then now you come in the real world. And when you are on the street, when you are looking for a job, when you are trying to do anything, you expect, you know, you guys, you know, I'm a silver medalist in Olympics. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I just want to understand a little bit how you felt and what were you expecting from people and how you felt when your expectations were not met. Mm-hmm. And I hope I'm not asking a rude no, question. No, I
4: think you're asking you're asking a great question and... I expected a little bit more of a chance maybe. Mm. And what I did see was every time I was given a chance, I think people were pretty impressed with my grit and ability to work and figure things out and take initiative. Right. So of course. skip ahead, I decided oh, I'm gonna quit this job and I'm gonna write the book, the book about the transition. Cause that's what I was really in. I was deep in the transition mm-hmm. and, and the struggle. And I was like, ah, oh, if I'm going through this, I feel like other athletes, could, be, could benefit from hearing my story and what happens to all of these athletes when they're finished competing. Mm-hmm. I, I think I had a lot of support along my Olympic journey and I appreciate that. And I loved representing our country, but I didn't really feel supported after. I felt a little bit out of my own floundering.
7: Mm, yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: So once you'd written the book, then what happened after that? What did you find yourself doing?
4: It was, uh, I was doing a lot of networking and and going to different events and thinking about doing public speaking and I felt uncomfortable. I felt insecure. Mm -hmm. I was struggling. And then I randomly met, who's my husband now, I met him. Then it was quick. It was like, we had this connection. It was like meant to be. All of a sudden we're having babies. Now I have two babies and two dogs and I, (laughs) you know, I'm a (laughs) stay-at-home mom and it's just like totally different world now. And. I guess I found my next kind of compassion just in building a family. Right. Not mm-hmm. just, but you know what I mean, in building a family. And
2: uh, now that it's been 10 years and you have now, uh, you stated that now you have very much adjusted to your new life.
4: Sort of, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and that was exactly what I was uh, trying to get into.
4: <laughs> so, uh, uh, and uh,
2: what is this adjustment like? Just share a little bit with us.
4: Well, I mean, 10 years later, and I'm still asking, what am I going to do next? Mm -hmm. So if uh, we could have just wrapped this conversation up with, I got asked, I figured it out, and I know the answer, that would have been sweet. But it's a part of life that, I mean, you guys probably don't know what's next either necessarily. And it's something that I've learned to accept. And I mean, right now, I guess the what's next for me is like, what will I do when I have more time and the kids go to school? and Will I get back into the workforce and what will that look like? Can I work from home? Mm -hmm. I just don't feel as much pressure in this current moment. Mm. But ask me tomorrow when I'm probably like, ah, what am I going (laughs) to (laughs) do? Highs and lows, Mm -hmm. highs and lows. (laughs) So going back
3: to what are you going to do now? Is this an inappropriate question?
4: (sighs) I think the timing is really everything. And the quirkiness in humanity that finds the worst timing to ask it <laughs> because I don't really care. Like right now, if someone asked me that, it wouldn't bother me at all. Like, yeah. but then it was then that it really triggered this whole thing for me. And people probably didn't even notice, you know, I probably answered the question in some random way. My story was probably changing often, I would just walk away and then struggle with it on my own. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is the world helping you make decisions. It's the universe nudging you. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: What if there were a fountain of youth pill?
3: To refer back to our very first guests this episode, your children, <laughs> once you'd become a parent, did people ask you about what your next steps were going to be?
2: Oh, yes, yes, yes. Immediately, they asked me, when am I having the next kid? Yeah. Yeah. So people just don't waste any time. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, parenthood can totally spark these questions about what's coming next in career for parents who are expecting on parental leave or stay-at-home parents. Mm-hmm. We actually had a listener write into us about a question like this. This kind of helped inspire the episode. A bit of a different question, but this listener was frustrated about being asked, when are you going back to work?
2: So we get to talk to a fan of the show. <laughs>
1: This is Vanya. I've been a stay at home mom for about four and a half years uh, since my first child. And before that, I was an educator and a therapist for kids and youth with special needs. So, my husband and I made a decision to, for me to become a stay at home mom, be, having two kids back to back. It was just like really expensive to put into daycare. Hmm. Maybe also like growing up in an environment where both my parents worked full time. Mm-hmm. You know, you see other friends going home and like their parents cook them like something like a snack. So another thing that um, that I missed out on and I wanted that for my kids. Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm.
2: So when you, you told us you wrote to us because that very day you got that question. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: I think it just came about um, with a family member, not necessarily as, you know, interrogating but, when I heard that question, I just realized that it was something that has bothered me for a while. Mm-hmm. When are you going back to work if there's a like there's an assumption that like you should go back to work? you know what I mean, and that mm-hmm. whatever you're doing right now is perhaps not quote unquote valuable in society. Mm. It almost seems like everyone's expecting me to go back to paid work, you know to me. What I'm doing now is just as valuable as when I worked a job that was paid. But I think a lot of people don't see it that way.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I'm glad you wrote into us. I love that we can be like the Ghostbusters for this kind of scenario. You know, like, <laughs> who are you going to call? I know the exact people to talk to about a question that's bugging me that maybe people should ask more tactfully. Yes,
1: yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> so, Vanya, so there is actually a very simple alternative to that. Uh, all you have to do is charge your husband for the kids you're the kids you're teaching, <laughs> file a tax return, and you know
1: we are all good, right? No, he actually talked to me about this previously, and he said he read an article <laughs> that talked about stay-at-home parents and how much they do, and that they should be paid like over a hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, well, bring it on. <laughs> I love that.
2: So you meet someone. And uh, they ask you what you do. So how does the conversation progress from there?
1: Um, I think I used to say what I did before Uh, I became a stay-at-home mom. And then I felt totally inauthentic because I'm like, I love what I do. Why do I have to say something else other than what I do right now, even though it's not paid and maybe it's not something that they want to hear? And I think that, um, it's harder to spark conversation, especially when the people aren't parents. Huh. It's like they don't know what is appropriate because like is it something where you chose to be in this position mm-hmm. or that you know you had to be in this position? For me, it was a choice, but not for everybody. Mm-hmm. So then it's almost kind of like we have to pick up from somewhere else. Mm-hmm.
3: Why do you think people have that expectation of you that, you know, you are going to go back to paid work and that that is more valuable, a better use for your
1: time? Um, That's a very good question. I think that part of it is that I'm quite highly educated. Mm -hmm. Um, I have multiple degrees and I really love my work. And so there's an expectation that, oh, you know, you have all these skills and you have all this education Like, we don't want you to go and, quote unquote, waste them. (laughs) I I understand where they come from. But it's also, sometimes it kind of, like, irks me a little bit. Hmm. Because to me, it's like, I I feel like I'm using all those skills every day. Makes sense.
2: But, but but, But do you really think the society is judging you for not going to work? Or they are just curious as to why you're not going? And when I'm using the word going to work as in paid work?
1: I think they are kind of curious. And there's maybe also... Um, It has a negative intrusive connotation to it, especially for the ones that want to stay at home and stay at home long term. Mm. Um, It makes them feel inferior. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I feel inferior when somebody asks me that, like what I'm doing. It it shouldn't be a long term thing. Mm Right. Right.
3: I'm really interested in the whole societal trend behind this because, you know, not all that long ago in the grand scheme of things, women were kind of expected to stay at home Mm -hmm. and expected not to work and to take care of the kids. Nowadays, do you find that that is kind of flipped and you're expected to be working or else maybe, I don't know, it's, it's
1: kind of unfeminist in a way or something like that? I've seen kind of like both sides. So like, I have a couple of friends who kind of think a little bit like me. And sometimes we laugh about it because we say maybe we're born in the wrong decade.
0: Right. That we're supposed to be born like 50 years ago because we want to be stay-at-home moms.
1: But there, I feel like there is an expectation for me in general from where, like, I guess where I come from, that with women getting more education, they have more opportunity in work. And I mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like, there's more opportunity for you. Like, why would you not want to participate in that? Mm. That, you know, woman 60 years, 70 years ago, didn't even have a chance.
3: So there's a bit of a when I was your age kind of yeah. vibe going on, <laughs> except also for people your age. <laughs> Is there a way that you wish people would ask this question differently or in a more respectful way?
1: Yeah, to just ask like, oh, what do you enjoy about being a stay-at-home parent? Hmm. Or like, you know, how was your day? And if you want to know a little bit more about why they wanted to, decided to not work and be a stay-at-home mom, and that's totally fine too. Like not ask, when are you going back to work? I think it's a little bit intrusive.
3: Something I want to unpack a bit more is what's underneath this question? What does work mean or represent to us? And how does that tie into our identities? To dig into this further, I'm speaking to Ann Wilson.
7: I am a professor of social psychology. I'm at Wilfrid Laurier University, and I do work in uh, self and identity over time at both an individual level and then how that plays out at a societal level. This
3: question we're focusing on, what are you going to do now? Why do you think people like to ask this? Why are people fascinated generally with someone's career
7: next steps? Well, I think that this may be at least partly historically situated. So we talk about this kind of thing more now, perhaps, than we have at other stages uh, in, in history. Right. And part of it seems to be that uh, people's identity and their careers are so intertwined. What do you do is really almost synonymous with who are you. It conveys a sense of priority, right? Mm. Um, this isn't something that's true across the board, so it's especially true in... In uh, middle and upper classes, and people who have certain types of careers, um, but there has been over the last couple of decades more and more of this emphasis emphasis on find your passion and uh, make sure that the job that you have, the career that you have, is the right one for you. There's this one thing out there for you. Hmm. Yeah.
3: Take me back to a time when this career identity link was less important like how did this link you described come about historically
7: so I'll say this in broad terms because I'm not a historian, so I don't have all of I can't connect all of the dots for you. Uh, but just the very notion of choosing a career is something that's relatively recent. So it used to be that people's life paths were relatively constrained. Your father was a carpenter; you'd become a carpenter. That would still be potentially part of your identity. But identity didn't even really mean the same thing then. So the idea right. of finding who you are and that there's some kind of a unitary individual self is something that's also a relatively recent invention. Uh, But that's also true. You know, I come from a, a more working class background. I feel like I ended up in a career that I'd call also my passion or that I have a sense of purpose around it. But I don't fool myself about the notion that everybody ends up being able to pursue their passion. There are lots of constraints on people even now. And so sometimes when we talk about career and identity, I always want to stop and remind myself that uh, this is something that also is a bit of a luxury to be able to think Mm -hmm. about careers in that way. And that's not true for everybody even now.
3: Right. Yeah, for sure. So given that context, what impact
7: can getting this question have? It's such a message in society generally, right? Find your passion, find the one thing out there for you and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It can make a lot of people who are really just trying to navigate the reality of a very difficult kind of economy and uh, job market and so on, uh, it can make that process even harder for them Mm
6: -hmm.
7: and it may make them feel like they have Uh, failed, because they haven't managed to find that kind of a match. And, you know, and it may be that for a lot of people, their identity is just not going to come from work, and that they can find a job that is perfectly satisfying for them. But they're going to get their real joy and their real sense of purpose in what they do outside of their work hours. Mm. Um, And that's perfectly fine, too. It's
3: such an interesting reality check to realize how recent and how class-specific this can be because, you know, growing up, I was always so fixated on this idea of career. From my earliest memories, I was like, I'm going to be a firefighter and an astronaut and (laughs) a marine biologist and an author. I'm just going to do everything. I was very, very into that idea of being an adult means you achieve all these
7: career milestones. Yeah, for sure. And that happens right from high school or from, from earlier. So we ask kids, what are you going to be when you grow up? Yeah, I worry a little bit about the message that we send to kids that you have to somehow figure out that one needle in the haystack. And if you can get that silver bullet, if you can find that one thing, then you're going to be happy. And if not, then, boy, you might be out of luck. Mm. These are kids and and even young adults that often haven't fully develop their identity, don't really know even what the options are that are out there. And they're being asked to plot this kind of path out for the rest of their lives. It may very well be that the things that they are passionate about at that moment are not really going to help them to predict what they're going to want to be doing five years down the road.
3: Yeah, that makes sense to me looking down the road in life, does this pressure to have your career figured out uh, continue through, say, middle age or older? Are there
7: the similar pressures or does that evolve somewhat? That's a really interesting question. So people's identities tend to get more solidified as they get older. So they have more clarity and coherence about who they are. And if that identity becomes pretty wrapped up in their careers, then things like career changes or even retirement may really throw people for quite a loop. Because it's not just changing a job or, you know, moving to another stage of life. But it's also potentially an identity crisis wrapped up with that. Mm. So one term that's used for that, especially when it's in uh, this more unhealthy way, the boundaries are really too blurred, uh, has been called enmeshment. So the Mm. idea that we've just kind of lost the boundaries between ourselves and our jobs. Uh, So I'm going to make an analogy with relationships. If we're in a relationship and our identities are really overlapped, if a lot of our identity comes from our relationship, we may hesitate to leave that relationship, or we may do whatever we can to avoid that relationship ending because it's not just a threat of sadness and the, the sorts of things that are related to a relationship ending, but it's also a real, you know, what, who am I going to be? Mm-hmm. In some cases. That may end up making us stay in relationships that aren't great for us, or in jobs that aren't great for us, right? And uh, and it might make us less likely to take the leap to try to explore something new.
3: That's that's scary, but it also makes so much sense. Yeah. Do you think, in your view, should we still use the question "What are you going to do now?" or something similar in our small talk environments? Is is this a good question to ask someone at a party or when you're getting to know them?
7: It might be that uh, it would be better to ask a question about, you know, what's important to you? What defines you? Mm. You know, you could reframe an answer to that kind of question uh, by directing people to what it is that you want to talk about. So here are some of the things I learned about the last stage of my life. And here's how I hope to use those kinds of things in the next stage. And it might look really different. It might be that what I learned is what I don't want to do or <laughs> that, uh, you know, that I'm really resilient or that I'm really, uh, you know, great with people or whatever it is that, uh, that matters. And that really came to the surface for you and let the talk of careers and jobs come in as a, a secondary piece to that, rather than the piece that we, push as the first thing that we want to know about somebody
8: my name is yair vlessing uh, i'm 62 i live in vancouver and i've been working for the last 23 years in the steakhouse i get asked a question quite a bit. And now, especially since I made the decision that I would retire in next May, and people were constantly saying, well, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, and people are also, a lot of people are telling me stories of people they knew, family members, brothers, sisters who retired, and how wonderful it was, and how it didn't always work out so well. Dead in two years. People are concerned that I, you know, do I have a plan? They want me to make sure that I'm making the right decision because, uh, you know, it's not the right decision for many people. It's kind of when people ask me, I try and give them the best answer I can and try and be as confident. I say that, you know, I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to do. I'm just going to wake up in the morning and start doing it. And the most important thing for me, what I want to do is I want to wake up and not have work on my mind. It's about uh, freeing my mind and taking care of me. You know, now, now I actually have a challenge, you know, to reinvent myself and to become productive in a different way and, uh, and live life to its fullest. And I, I just have this confidence, not 100%, but this confidence that uh, I'm going to be able to figure out what to do and I'm going to enjoy it.
2: So, Elena, this episode made me realize that this question is not asked just once. Mm-hmm. You keep have to answer this question at different stages of your life, right? Mm-hmm. From when you're in school and when you are retiring.
3: Yeah, cradle to grave, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found it really uh comforting to hear people at different life stages reflecting on this question. I think I've had this fantasy of, you know, you get settled in your life and then nothing's uncertain and you know all your next steps, but uh that's not true. Uncertainty reigns. <laughs> so it was comforting to hear that other people feel that.
2: And and that brings me to a question which I will ask you. Uh-huh. Now that we are finishing this season, What are you going to do now?
3: Uh, I should have seen that coming. (laughs) Should have known you were going to turn it on me. I am still asking myself that, but at least in the short term, you know, sleep, watch hockey, go on hinge. I don't know.
2: (laughs) What about you? Uh, Well, watch cricket. No hinge. I don't even know what hinge is, but I'm assuming I shouldn't be knowing it.
3: (laughs) (sighs) Well, I really just want to thank everyone who stuck with us this whole season. Or even, you know, if you just popped it on out, I really appreciate, and I know everyone else who works on this show really appreciates, all the time you spend with us. And I hope you've learned some things along the way.
2: So hold your horses, Elena. We have one more episode, which is the bonus episode coming up. Mm. And that is to reflect on the season and also... Answer listener questions.
3: Yeah, looking forward to hearing your thoughts and looking back on a year of inappropriateness.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See you.
3: Goodbye for now.
2: I'm Harvinder Vadva.
3: And I'm Elena Hudgens Lyle.
2: Thanks for getting inappropriate with us.
3: A huge thanks to our guests, Rim and Harbani Wadwa, Krista Goloin, Vanya, and Ann Wilson. You also heard a voice note from Yair Vlessing.
2: For a full transcript of this episode, make sure to visit cbc.ca forward slash iqpodcast.
3: The powerhouse producers behind this podcast are Sabrina Birch, Cindy Long, and myself. This episode was mixed by Olivia Pasquarelli. Our Chase producer is Sarah Melton, and our digital producer is S.K. Robert. Our senior producer is Jeff Turner, and our executive producer is Arif
2: Narani. An inappropriate question is like bringing your kids to take your kids to work day twice.
0: (laughs) For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.